This is Andy Humphrey, host of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'd like to welcome you to part two of our discussion with Nate Griswold, all about green roofs. And in this second section, we are going to talk irrigation, subsurface irrigation, overhead irrigation, and some of the experiences that Nate has had with irrigation on rooftops and how you can utilize that in your business. So let's just jump right into it because I know everyone is excited to hear part two. So let's go right into the show now. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Can we spend time talking about water now and maybe irrigation on roofs and some of the things that you see happening out there and what you find has worked and not worked as it relates to irrigation systems? So let's step back again to that when we first met. You were the first irrigation company that passed through those doors uh, 15 years ago. And Netafim is a great product. I still use it on green roofs exclusively for drip systems. Well, 95% of the time, let's say. But the, the reason is, is I really like their built-in emitters. That's one reason we welcomed you in the door back at HydroTech is that built-in emitter and the anti-clog mechanism, I forget what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I believe they had some type of I don't know if it was copper hydroxide or something in the emitter. They had root intrusion on the technology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the roots couldn't grow into it. And then the low flow, the really low flow, you know, and the spacing on the tubes, those are all things why, why we originally met. (laughs) And so let's just say that, so yes, Netafim can also be like Kleenex and there are lots of similar products and we can all have favorites. So what I heard you say was you like drip overall. Yep. You like the built-in emitter technology. You prefer something that has inhibit root intrusion and you're liking low flow emitters, which I would sort of stereotype as a 0.26 or a 0.4. Anything that's 0.6, 0.9 and up mm-hmm. would be high flow. So does that sound right in terms of? Yep. Yep. And typically I like 12 inch spacing on the emitters. Okay. And then I do 12, 12. So there's 12 inch spacing on the tubes and then 12 inch between parallel lines. Okay. And you try to stagger those emitters. In like a triangle sort of spacing. Yeah, because one of the challenges is, as we talked about this growing media earlier, and that growing media is very, very porous. There's a high percentage of most green roof growing medias is lightweight aggregates. That aggregate is clay or shale or slate that's been heated in a furnace, the very porous product, and it's lightweight. It's traditionally used in lightweight concrete. And the industry sort of brought it over to the growing media because it's a very effective product to fill the volume, regardless if you're with it in an extensive or intensive, it fills that volume or that space in the depth of the media and allows water to freely drain through it. And there's poor horizontal movement though, which is the challenge Mm -hmm. of water. So when water hits it, it goes straight down 
for the most part. Very little, let's say in, in the industry, very poor capillary movement right. of water. Exactly. So that's one reason that a lower flow emitter is better because it's not just all pushed out right away. It gives it a little bit more time to expand and then fall in my experience. Right. Which is counterintuitive to what a lot of irrigators think. If you think sand, a lot of irrigators and a lot of what we're taught is sand would be 0.6 or 0.9 and the clay would be 0.26 or 0.4. But you're exactly right. From my experience, if you want to move water laterally, it doesn't matter the soil type. The concept remains the same. Low flow and perhaps even pulsing. You need time on your side to move that water laterally. Longer run times is things that I push Longer cycles and then maybe back-to-back cycles too, potentially, you know, maybe you you run it for, let's just say two hours in the morning and two hours at night, but then you don't water for three or four days. Right. You let that water saturate because that capillary action, if the sponge is completely dry, you want to wet the sponge so then the water can then horizontally move versus just right through it. Correct. Because if you had that dry sponge, and this may or may not be an exact analogy, but if you put that dry sponge under your kitchen sink and you turn it on, the water just pours over the sides. Once the sponge slowly absorbs, now it can absorb more water through the molecules holding each other in place. Right. Yeah. It's hydrophobic to start. Correct. It's so it's sort of like a really, really dry house plant. And you, you water it and it all runs off onto your bookshelf below, right? And mm-hmm. give it little drinks. You know, you need to like pour a little bit of water in there, let it saturate into the soil, then a little bit more. And then the next day when you water it, you could pour a whole glass on the, of water onto there and right. it, none of it runs off. So I'm just curious because you can achieve that concept with overhead as well, either through traditional spray heads or rotors or rats precipitation products like the MP rotator or rotator nozzles. You could do a lot of what we're already talking about if you properly schedule and program your controller. Are there specific benefits of the drip beyond, you know, the things we've talked about that for reasons that you like it? The major one is overspray. So if you have a green roof next to a big conference room full of eight foot glass panels and it's windy, all of a sudden when the overheads go up, your whole window is pockmarked with, you know, water stain. Right. Or the other way, it's blowing off the roof onto, you know, the bankers coming into their office in the morning or, mm-hmm. you know, it's raining down onto the sidewalk below. Mm-hmm. Those are the reasons where traditional overheads may not be the best option. You know, you could always go with low flow. You know, I really like to use misters plugged right into the drip too to emit water from above. Watering from above is a requirement of many manufacturers for certain types of plantings, actually. Hmm. It's just catch 22 of what, well, once the roots are established after I put the sedum carpet down, drip is the perfect thing. It's really efficient. The root systems are right there, but drip is doing nothing for sod or sedum carpet, which is like sod with sedums. It's doing nothing the day of install. It's running directly down. The roots are all up at the soil surface. 
So you need to water from above for a short period of time. Hmm. A lot of ways in my experience that is done is temporary systems above your three quarter inch or one inch hose, traditional hose, garden hose with timers and a series of overhead oscillating sprinklers. You mm-hmm. get the roots to push down into the growing media and then you put on your uh, drip system. The pop-ups could be a part of that. You could have, you know, pop-ups with more mister heads if you wanted to, or pop-ups with, you know, the larger throws of water, mm-hmm. you know. So it's all really based on what kind of vegetation you have. And, you know, maybe there's something that doesn't want water hitting their leaves. Yeah. So it's, it's really a science sort of like you would do in the landscape below. It does seem that sometimes the irrigation, well, all the time the irrigation is going in last end of the project in a traditional construction level on the ground and on the rooftop. Yep. It's going in last. Mm -hmm. And uh, typically when a project goes in last, if it's not already over budget, they're reaching their budget and things can get cut and the system that may have been properly designed may get value engineered. Are there things that you see out there that if a contractor is listening to this and their general contractor, someone is asking them to, you know, cut some things off of the system, you know, what should they do? You know, how can they respond to that? Well, one way is I think to, help that general contractor is to guide them to make sure that there's water, a water source and a power source at that roof. I can't tell you how many times a green roof has been designed and then there's no water on the roof. There's no, no even hose bibs, let alone a power source. So a lot of times that's overlooked by the design community and the general contractors is that how do we get water and power, mm-hmm. be it to a controller on the rooftop and to you know manage this irrigation system? How do we do that? Obviously, it's a lot easier when the building's being framed or the concrete structure's going up. Yeah, and some of these, you may need to put some sleeving in the concrete between area one and area two and area three for the piping that needs to go in later. Yep, so being proactive at the early pre-con meetings is critical. And also, you know, calling that out in your proposal. I understand that, you know, when irrigation is needed, irrigation sleeves are needed or what have you. But, you know, if you get to the point where all those sleeves are there and it's time to put the irrigation system in, one way to really reduce costs and maintenance is to consider if there's enough volume and pressure at a hose bib to run a traditional uh, mister and drip combo. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the controller box, you know, the wire that's going to be run through three floors down into the utility room and the backflow preventer and all of the copper fittings and all that that would be needed to run a traditional irrigation system. Maybe that is all cut, but there's still the drip in the mister option to Mm -hmm. help keep that there. But another thing is to point that contractor and or owner back to the specification that they paid an architect, an engineer, or a landscape architect to create and point to the warranties of the systems they selected. There's many green roof manufacturers and suppliers out there that will not warrant the plants they provide to you. You know, if you don't have a very specific maintenance protocol happening, Mm -hmm. 
one of the number one things on a maintenance protocol or plan is irrigation or watering. So, and that watering is most critical during the establishment period of those plants. It's when you take your plant and you put it onto the soil or into the soil. I think of it as how long does it take that plant to push their roots into the growth media okay. and then be, become independent of, you know, watering from above or, you know, mm-hmm. there's an establishment period that is critical for success. And what are you seeing in terms of the time now? Every roof is a little bit different, but is there an average time period that you're seeing or that you recommend to your clients? I'm trying to remember. It's probably changed in the last seven years, but when I helped create Hydrotech's maintenance protocol, I believe we looked at it to be the first year, 12 to 24 months is the establishment period. Okay. But that can be much shorter. You know, if you plant in April in Michigan, those plants are going to be pretty rooted in by the end of summer with the proper mm-hmm. irrigation. So you might be able to back the irrigation down, take off your temporary irrigation system, but that's up to the green roof professional working on the roof to then assess that and report it back to whoever the warranting organization may be. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's see if there's irrigators listening that want to learn more either about green roof irrigation, which I don't know that there's much out there, you know, maybe you and I should work together to create some more good documentation on it or just the green roof industry in general, where they can learn about the types of green roofs and how the installation process works, or maybe how the, you know, the construction timeline works. What kind of resources are out there? Well, there's always the trade organization and I know you've spoken with them and visited some of their events in the past green roofs for healthy cities. Okay. They have a training program to become a green roof professional. It's three to four different lecture series or sections. And then you can take a test to become a green roof professional. But green roofs 101 is the basics. And I believe there is an irrigation section in there. Do you think it would be beneficial for either just an irrigation person or an irrigation company to become a green roof professional? Would that help them stand out? in the marketplace as someone who understands the industry? Yeah, I think that um, there's many people that carry that designation and I was one of the first to get it back, I believe, I don't even know at this point, about 12 years ago or 10, maybe 10. But yeah, it definitely is being recognized. You'll find it in specifications sometimes that the installer must be GRP or green roof professional. From an irrigation standpoint, that would definitely, from a manufacturer or a corporate representative, having that GRP would definitely resonate with the manufacturers. That's what I'm thinking, because if you have either a seat at the design table or a seat at the construction table when you're looking to bid on work and you're in the, the bid room, if you will, and you can sit at the table and say, I am a certified green roof professional, you're immediately not amongst your competitive peers. Right. Definitely. So it's a a really good option. If you're unable to spend the time or the resources to do that, bring somebody like myself to the table, honestly. Oh, that's a good idea too. You know what I mean? Like bring somebody that not only has helped create a lot of the protocols in the industry or the policies and 
the training programs. I was part of both the maintenance program that Greeners for Healthy Cities has. I helped draft that as well as a lot of their training and educational packets that you would get to become a GRP. I could come to the table and help explain that. And if you're aligning yourself with an industry professional as a irrigation suppliers or manufacturer, that also would carry weight. Yeah. In that sense, you're bringing in an unbiased party to the table Mm -hmm. and showing alliance with the industry versus just selling your products, you know? Right. Right. Nate had no idea I was going to plug him. So if you're an irrigation contractor and you have an opportunity (laughs) to work on a green roof, bring Nate to the table on your team, on your pre-construction team and your construction team, and he can advise and help you. Thank you. Yeah. And I can work nationally or internationally. I've consulted all over the world. You know, right now I'm working on a project that is on one of the largest manufacturers of software products in, in the world. I'm working on a building right now and working on the irrigation plan with the landscape architect who is out of Portland, Oregon. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be something that's face to face. You know, we can do a lot over the phone and email and other types of FaceTime or Skype or whatever. Yeah. And if needed, I can always get on a plane. Yeah. Cool. That reminded me, that's one reason I started in Habitat actually is, uh, I loved my time at HydroTech and I learned a lot and worked with some of the best in the industry for sure from an architectural sales standpoint. But I was on a plane 35 weeks a year. (laughs) I was flying all over the country and was constantly moving and uh, really just needed to get back here to Traverse City. As you know, this is God's country. And dude, I'm telling you the difference, the reason I'm just going to say this sort of selfishly, I think the reason that it burned you is because you always had to go back to Chicago. Right. That if you could travel 35 weeks a year, but you knew you got to come home to Traverse City, I can tell you when you get off the plane, you're like, man, it feels good to be on vacation. Wait a minute. No, I'm at home. Right. Wait, what? (laughs) Right. You know, I I would still be with HydroTech. You know, that time it was not an option. Yeah. Role that I was playing for them and but that's all right. I consider myself a boomerang entrepreneur. And that's what I call myself right. is I was educated in Michigan and here in Traverse City and down in East Lansing, went to Chicago, flew all over the place, gathered a lot of information, learned how to become a businessman and a consultant and work at this high level of architectural specification and construction and then brought it all home and I'm, you know, getting my feet wet as an entrepreneur and, you know, we're in the seventh year now. So it's awesome. Yeah. It's a great hurdle to get over is that first five, six years, you know, I've, I'm doing something here. So, so great, man. Well, we've gotten into so much detail and again, there's just like still just the tip of the iceberg on the kind of information that is out there. And I appreciate the thoughts that you had on irrigation and green roof professionals and Perhaps if there was someone out there that needed assistance that you could be, you could do that for them. What's the best way for someone to learn about your business and maybe reach out to you? Well, um, definitely email is probably the best. You can go through our website if you'd like at Um That's spelled, I, I always like to spell it because it's a sort of a difficult word. The word inhabit and then E-C-T. So think of the word inhabit and then Eric, Charlie, Tom. 
Com. <laughs> nice. So you can look on there and there's a portal there to ask me questions, but you can also email me directly at nate at inhabitect.com. And, you know, I'll be happy to answer any questions. You know, again, I'm familiar with concept to completion, pretty much everything, anything you'll deal with from a detail perspective and budgeting standpoint. Yeah, man. You are the green roof guy. <laughs> you. you know, I really appreciate being invited to this. Overall, as a quick plug too for Inhabitact is, you know, green roofs are why we were founded and why it started, but we also are working in other parts of stormwater management or green stormwater infrastructure. So that's another thing that, you know, we can help tie everything together from a more ecologically minded landscape perspective is, you know, yes, we can help manage the water on the rooftop, but then once it leaves that rooftop, we can help with designing rain gardens or bioswales or help uh, manage your, the erosion that is happening on your shoreline. So really mm-hmm. looking at it from a holistic standpoint for a whole site. So manage cool. water on the whole site, but also thinking about ecological approaches to irrigation on a whole site, not just up on the top of a rooftop, but at, at grade and working with professionals like you that understand the at grade applications and thinking of it more sustainably and using plants that are more appropriate to our region, you know, natives and adapted species that aren't going to invade your neighbor's property is all things we can assist with. And mm-hmm. my degree in landscape architecture assists with that process too. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool, man. Well, thanks so much, Nate. It's been a great time talking with you and I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Bye. So that's going to wrap up part two of our discussion with Nate Griswold all about green roofs. And I think the biggest takeaway that I have from chatting with Nate has to do with thinking of the soil profile that is on the roof as a stormwater management system. Another analogy would be thinking of it as that sponge on the rooftop. So as it relates to irrigation, it would not be a good idea to keep that sponge full all the time because then the water that falls from the sky due to rain cannot be absorbed and slowed down with the soil because it would already be full and saturated. So I think that's my biggest takeaway is when you're managing water on the rooftop, try to manage to that lower and dry threshold so that you can leave more room for the water to be absorbed by the soil media that's on the rooftop. And if you think of that soil media as a rainwater storage system or a stormwater runoff management system, that could help you in your water management practices. So Again, guys, this was really fun with Nate. I look forward to bringing on additional green roof professionals on episodes to come. And if you'd like to ask myself anything or reach out to Nate, feel free to email me. My email is andy at sprinklinger.com. I would love to hear from you, where you are, what your business is. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you anytime. So I think that'll wrap it up, guys. And until the next episode, happy sprinkling, and we'll talk to you then.